Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders who are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders of teams who are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and creating life-changing years for the people they lead. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United, part of the Jepson Performance Group. Video segments of this and other episodes of the podcast can be found at Sales Leadership United, hosted on Patreon. Think of Sales Leadership United like a Home Depot for sales leaders. It's a comprehensive resource for sales leaders with over 100 hours of tools, training, and insights sorted and tagged into every category you might need to help you become an elite sales leader. A private podcast, sales leadership training, sales meeting insights, video insights, and much more are waiting for you to check out at Sales Leadership United. Don't reinvent sales leadership. Tap into proven tools and techniques used by many of today's most successful sales leaders and check out Sales Leadership United today. Now, get ready for some serious insights from this week's sales leader who's making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello, and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Our show continues to grow ridiculously fast. We are now north of 35,000 subscribers and growing faster now than ever before. And I'm so grateful to every single one of you for your ongoing support of the show. A huge reason our show grows so fast is because we continue to get some of the greatest sales leaders in the world, some of the greatest leaders in the world, and discuss some of the most important topics facing sales leaders. And this week... It's another super important show. I'm really looking forward to this one. I am excited to have Valerie Young join us this week. Valerie is an internationally recognized imposter syndrome expert. She's the co-founder of the Imposter Syndrome Institute and is committed to stamping imposter syndrome out worldwide. She works with corporations, individuals, internal leaders, coaches, and nearly every other persona you can imagine. Now, the topic of imposter syndrome has been around for a long time, but it hasn't been addressed well, and I'm excited to dive into this with Valerie, because her expertise has her working with people and organizations worldwide, including a really impressive list of some of the most iconic companies in the world. Today, we're going to take on this very important topic that faces every leader and every salesperson at some point, imposter syndrome. I am so pumped to bring you the foremost expert on this topic so we can help every one of you address this in ways that can make an impact. It's going to be a really killer conversation. It's going to go fast. I can't wait to dig in. Valerie, welcome to our show, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Rob. I'm really excited to be here. And, you know, listening to to you go through my credentials, all I could think of was is that I am a 40-year overnight success and a recovering imposter. So you're perfect for the conversation, then, if that's the case. I, I'm, I'm really, really glad to have you. It was interesting. as I knew I wanted to talk about imposter syndrome, so I started digging into who the experts were. And, and man, you're, you dominate the field. It's, it's amazing the things you've accomplished. Can you start, Valerie, please, by just introducing yourself? You got 35,000 sales leaders listening to you. Uh, maybe you can introduce yourself and, and what you do for the people you work with. Sure, absolutely. Well, again, my name is Valerie Young, and um, I, you know, I am an expert on imposter syndrome. I didn't set out to to be that, Rob. I was. Um, my, my, I want to tell you my origin story is yeah. is really that I, I was probably I don't know twenty five years old, sitting in a class in a doctoral program. By the way, at the same university where my mother was working as a second shift custodian, she was a janitor there. Wow! And, and somebody brought in this paper by the two uh, psychologists who first coined the term imposter phenomenon, and I and started describing how all these bright, capable, competent people felt like they were fooling folks and were going to be found out. And I just sat there, nodding my head like a bobblehead doll. And like, oh, my God, that's me. And then I looked around the room and all the other students were nodding their head. And this was stunning to me. This was remarkable because I knew their work. I knew they deserved to be there. And so we decided to start a little imposter support group. We started talking about our intellectual fraudulence, how we're fooling all of our professors. And everything went great, Rob, for the first couple of weeks. And, and then I started to have this nagging sense that even though everyone else was saying they were an imposter, it's like I knew I was the only real imposter. 
So it, it was that experience that made me wow. really, I, I'm, I'm a very curious person. So I wanted to understand why would so many bright, capable, competent people feel like imposter is fakes and fraud? So I really changed the whole focus of my doctoral research and decided to try to, to actually to, to answer that question. So I never set out to be an expert on this or frankly anything. <laughs> it was just, I wanted to understand it for myself. It's a really, really interesting story. And, uh, and I can't wait to dive into what you've learned in your journey. And so I was going to ask you, the next thing I was going to ask you is how did you get focused on this? And, and, and you just shared that. I, I love that. One of the things that you're quick to point out when you and I talk, and I don't, and I know you don't mean this negatively. So I, I'm careful how I ask this because I don't want to set it up as a negative. You're quick to point out you're not an academic. Why is that so important to the work that you do? I think it's important because there's a lot of, you know, academics, sometimes it's very theoretical. Right. You know, there are people in business school who have literally never managed a person in their life. You know, they've never worked in an organization outside of academia. Um, around this topic, the vast majority of the people doing research are psychologists, often clinical psychologists to, you know, work with mm. folks one-on-one and in a therapy capacity. I'm not a psychologist, which I think really served me well. First of all, I didn't know what I didn't know. <laughs> but, right. but also, um, my degree was in education. So what I immediately did after I wrote my dissertation, I'm also, I've always been entrepreneurial, right? Cool. Kind of a hustler. I mean, I, I had three jobs in college and I can tell you, it didn't interfere with my drinking career whatsoever, Rob. Right? It's all Valerie, time. I like you more by the second. <laughs> it's all time <laughs> management. Right? But so I, I, I designed a workshop, you know, I, I created like educational forums for people to get information and insight and tools to kind of understand what, what was happening. And this is before the internet. So I put up posters, put little ads in the paper and 40 people showed up at the, the Hilton in Northampton, Massachusetts with a check for $40 in their hand. And I was like, wow. okay, I, I'm onto something. A lot of people have, the, have these feelings. Well, I think it's only grown since then. So why don't we start by just addressing it head on? I think imposter syndrome is something that everybody's hearing more and more about. And I don't know if everyone, like I didn't, like, can you just start with what is imposter syndrome? Can you define it? Like, what is it? And, and, and maybe get into how prevalent is it? Yeah, absolutely. It basically describes this experience whereby we dismiss, diminish, negate evidence of our accomplishments and abilities, you know, this kind of sense of, well, sure, I'm successful, but I can explain all that and, and kind of have this fear that, that deep down, we're really not as intelligent, capable, qualified, talented as other people seem to think we are. So as a result, you know, we're left with that kind of fear that ultimately we're going to be found out. That, and that can be scary, doesn't it, right? I mean, you're, you've got all these expectations. I'm thinking of sales leaders right now. I remember the first time that I led a team that was meaningful, like sizable. It wasn't like a test. It wasn't like a trial run. Let's see if you don't screw this up. Like there was a lot going on. I remember looking in the mirror going, can I do this? I remember being like almost petrified at first, right? Is that what we're talking about? Oh, absolutely. It can be incredibly anxiety producing and people tend to have different reactions to kind of cope with the anxiety of kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? Waiting to be found out and also to avoid being found out. So for one person, Rob, it might be, you know, I, I call it flying under the radar. So this is the person who doesn't speak up, doesn't ask questions, doesn't go for more challenging opportunity, doesn't go for the bigger sale, right? The sense if I can kind of keep my head down, do my work, play small, it's safer there and I won't be found out. On the other end of that continuum is people who overwork, overprepare, not because it's required. I mean, guess what? We all have to work hard, but more out of the sense that I have to stay longer or work harder than everyone else to cover up for my supposed ineptness. Mm. All right. So how prevalent is this? Is this something that's, is this something that's happening everywhere? Is it only that people are talking about it more that it's showing up more? Is it like, I'm interested in the phenomenon on how prevalent you think this is. I think it is certainly being talked about more. And I think partly why that happened is more men just in a societal kind of way felt comfortable talking about imposter feelings. The, 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 the focus for years and frankly, the people who were calling me, even if they were at a big corporation or a you know major university, I was always 
brought in by some women's initiative or by women was interested in this topic. But increasingly, men are talking about it at the very highest levels. Uh, and so, you know, it's just become a more commonly known phenomena. It really depends on, you know, on the field. But for example, I know there was a study in 2017 in the UK that found that 80% of CEOs and 81% of managing directors said they sometimes feel out of their depth and that they're struggling in their role. You know, you might have another scenario that might look at medical students and see, you know, it's 60%. I mean, there's just different numbers depending on, on the field and the study that's being done. But the, the commonly used kind of measurement is that on average, like at least 70% of people have had these feelings at one time or another. So it, it's 70%. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is why I always have to break it to my audiences that, you know, they're not special, right? Like we're like, we're the majority, right? I mean, of wow. course they are special, but like, I think the bigger question is what's up with the other 30, right? Like, why are we studying them? There are hundreds of dissertations on imposter syndrome, all looking at people who experience it, but I'm not aware of any that are looking at in any meaningful kind of way, the people who that 30% who don't feel this way. All right. So this got my attention. 70%. That's even higher than I expected, but it makes sense when you say that it's not like it's always on, it comes and goes and, and, and it probably builds over time. And I guess my first question is, is this something that people outgrow? Is this something that it just works itself out? Or is this something that you need to be aware of and address? You know, it, it really, it really depends. I mean, on, on the one hand, let's just talk about confidence general, right? The, the research shows that women in their mid twenties, mid thirties have less confidence than male men evens out mid forties, mid fifties. And by 60 women are more confident, right? By 60 women are like, screw it. I don't care anymore. But, but that's a really long time to have to wait. So, right. so age in some way, sometimes age can kind of take care of stuff because a lot of research on imposter syndrome is done with first year students taking intro to psych psychology courses. So they're mm. literally 18-year-olds, and then it's kind of extrapolated to the general population. So I think the younger the demographic being studied, you're going to see it more because you know people are just still figuring out who they are, and confidence is still is still an issue. Tell me your question again, because I know I had something intelligent I wanted to say. Uh, no, what I was asking is like when you have imposter syndrome, is it enough oh. to say just walk that, just hang in there, this too shall pass? Does it fade? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, for some people, yeah. So obviously, for some people, it does, but for other people the more successful they become, they just feel like they're fooling more people on a higher level. Now, I want to, I want to sit on that. That concept is something that I've heard you talk about that you mentioned to me earlier, that they feel like they're fooling people at a higher level. Like, like this, this, it's this house of cards that just keeps stacking another level on is, is, am I interpreting it that, that right? I mean, the more successful you became, you become, the more visible you are, you know, the stakes are higher. You know, there's farther to fall. More people are counting on you. So it can just add to, to your stress. You know, I know this is maybe not, not a sales point, but, but I'll make the point that somebody said to me once, she said, this is crazy. I have a PhD. I shouldn't feel like an imposter. And I said, no, you feel like an imposter because you have a PhD. Right now, people look at you a certain way. They have certain expectations of you. So it's counterintuitive. But, you know, we think the more credential, the more experienced I get, I'll feel less like an imposter. And for some people, that is true. But for other people, it really is the opposite response. That makes tons of sense. I can see it now. Oh, you've been doing this for X long. You you must be able to do this. I, I can see that. Um, yeah, it's super interesting. I, I don't know much about this. I, I, and I know that, like, I've had leaders I coach tell me that they struggle with this. Um, I, I've had people that have been on this podcast tell me they're taking another job. And they are worried about, you know, expectations and this imposter syndrome that they're working on. I'm hearing it all the time. And so um, I got so many things I want to do with this, um, uh, Valerie. I, I don't even know the right place to start because I'm so intrigued by all this. I guess we should do this. Why does it matter? You know, how does it create impact either on companies or on lives or careers? Is this, is this, why is this something that people should be thinking about and dealing with now? That's a really great question, uh, John. And, and the way I describe it is that this is not an in, just an interesting self-help topic. I mean, I've spoken over 100 yeah. universities around the world. Again, I do speak at major corporations all the time, and they're not paying me because they're into self-help, right? They're paying me because they're bottom line oriented, even if they're a university, right? Because they understand that 
feelings lead to behaviors. Mm. And those behaviors have costs and consequences, not just for the individual, whether that's the employee or the entrepreneur or the student, but also for the, the organization. Okay, I'm taking notes here. I'm sorry that I'm not keeping up with you. Like I'm already done with the first page of notes on this conversation. And so, so it is bottom line oriented. And I want to see, now I know you don't specialize only in sales, but you do do work with sales organizations. What are some things we got all these sales leaders learning, listening here? I, this isn't like a, you're mentally weak or you're, you're just not tough enough. Um, this is something that they should be on the lookout for. Can you give me a couple of ways that might create impact? I know that it might say that you're not effective in sales, but I like some of the things you said before. Maybe you have to overwork or overprepare. Can you share some of the ways that it evidences itself so my sales leaders can be thinking about it? Because I want us to wrap this up at the end on some things to be watching out for and why. Sure. Let's take the, the coping strategy of kind of overworking, overpreparing. And what I mean by that is, you know, so if you're in sales leadership, I mean, you report to somebody as well, so, right? Yep. And people report to you. So let's say you ask your direct report to put together the agenda for Friday's meeting, and that person comes back with a five-page report. That's an incredible waste of time. You know, they, they can and should be working on more important things. Uh, people who overwork, overprepare for everything. I mean, they're trying to like dot all their I's and cross all their T's because they don't want to be found out. But it can also lead to tremendous amount of, of burnout. And so mm. people start maybe job hopping, you know, and they move on to the next gig. And, you know, we all know it's incredibly expensive to onboard and train uh, new salespeople. For the person who's kind of holding back, right, who's not going for more challenging opportunities, who are not stepping up into management roles, who are not going for the bigger sales, clearly there's a bottom line impact. Uh, another manifestation of how it, how, it, how it turns out is chronic procrastination. Mm. And it, it, here's the thing. We all procrastinate, right? We're hardwired to avoid things that are big, hard, difficult, not very fun. Where it matters is when it's undermining your ability to achieve your major sales goals, major job objectives, right? How procrastination protects us in terms of imposter syndrome is, let me give you a, a non-sales example. There was a young woman years ago who really wanted this competitive internship. She was a college student. To get it, she had to complete this big lengthy application process. She had six months to do it. Let's say it's due June 15th. When do you think she starts it, Rob? June 13th. Oh, June 14th. Day, day okay. before, right? she, she gets it in overnight mail, but she doesn't get the internship. How procrastination protects us is we can say to ourselves, well, I'm disappointed. But, but I'm now I have to... a reason. Now right, I have, right. yeah. I'm not surprised, right? Because it, it didn't really represent my best effort. But the rub is if she had gotten accepted, she probably would have felt deserving. She would have felt like, phew, fooled him again. And when I get there, they're going to figure out, you know, I'm just tap dancing and you know, <laughs> just pulled it off at, at the last minute. P other people self-sabotage, right? It could be showing up late to an important sales meeting with, with, a, with a prospect. I mean, I, I talked to somebody once and she said she realized in retrospect, it was her first big client and she gave them like the wrong address twice in a row, like screwed up on the address. And she realizes she thinks she was just afraid. To, to meet with them, but it could be job hopping. It could be alcohol or substance abuse. And I don't mean, you know, a raging alcoholic, but that, that happens. But, you know, there are folks because of imposter syndrome, they might have that extra drink the night before, you know, they have to be really at the top of their game and then it undermines their, their success. And they, they have that kind of excuse. These are all unconscious things that we do. Um, and they work, but here's the thing about all these strategies. They do the job they're supposed to do. They help us avoid, being found out. They help us avoid humiliation, disappointment, you know, perhaps failure. Uh, you know, if you procrastinate, guess what? You get time to do stuff you'd rather do. You work crazy hard. You're probably going to be successful. The problem is they always, they do work, but always at a cost. And again, it's that cost to the individual, but also to the organization. Super insightful. And, and I'll be honest, I'm applying all these things to me. I, every phase of my career right now i'm thinking about the times that i i was working ridiculously hard and i'm asking myself was i compensating right was i trying to i love i wrote it down twice in quotes fooled him again fooled him again and um 
Because you're right, when you're in a leadership position, but even if you're a salesperson, you're selling to executives and other organizations and they, you're, you're coming in and you want to be someone who's helpful or is an expert or whatever. I can see how this starts showing up everywhere for a lot of different reasons, particularly when you have the pressure to succeed in sales because that quota never goes away. And that's how we define success is did we do that? And so can I, can I be successful? This is, it's, it's got my attention. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this. There's a thousand ways it creates impact. You've given us some great, um, some great symptoms to look for. Um, is there anything that like, again, I, I, I'm trying to put this through the eyes of sales leaders. So if the sales leaders are thinking about their team right now, is there like a one or two things that are like the most common things that you would tell our sales leaders? These are things you should be looking for. And here's a couple of things you can do to help them. I would say to look at your organizational culture. Okay. Tell me why. Well, Gosh, and I wasn't prepared to talk about this, but I know Brene Brown recently. Sorry. (laughs) We'll edit that out. (laughs) Somebody just did a podcast um, with with a guy who did research on like the the top reasons for the the great resignation and the top five were related to culture. Okay. And if you have a, a, a culture where people aren't allowed to have an off day, where people aren't allowed to, to make a mistake, um, to fumble, uh, which we all do, right? Um, then you're going to ex- have more folks who, who experience imposter syndrome. You know, you want to create what I call kind of an imposter-free environment where people come together, you know, you bring your salespeople together and, and somebody's struggling with this one prospect or, or client. I mean, something's going wrong. And if you have an environment where people don't feel safe talking about that, that's not good. Right. You, you want to be in a room where people go, you know, I, I'm really struggling with this. I, I, I could use some help. Right. And, and, and to get that help or to admit that they don't know something, even to the, to the client. I mean, I, I'm just speaking as a consumer. I'd rather work with somebody who's trying to sell me something who admits they don't have all the answers or they're going to they'll go find this out for me. I really like that because one of the things I I think there's like three areas that leaders really have a responsibility. One is development, development of people. And they have to be someone who's a collaborator so they can grow together. I think the second is environment, which you just talked about. And we have to be an influencer and have influence to create that. Last one is accomplishment, where we have to be a strategist and and accomplish our goals. I want to go back to this environment one because you brought it up. And I think it's one of the most important things leaders are responsible for. We're not responsible for the success of the reps, but we are responsible for the environment, I think. And um I believe that instead of a lot of people try to create what I call a fail safe, like follow my script, do my process, whatever, and you will not fail kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I can, I compare that to the safe to fail environment. And I think the safe to fail environment trumps the fail safe environment every single time. And now I think I know why it's because of what you just said. Uh, why is being safe to fail so important as it relates to overcoming this imposter syndrome? Well, I think if you knew you were entitled to make a mistake once in a while, not all the time, right? If you're making a mistake all the time, you either have a training issue or you're in the wrong job. But if you genuinely knew you and everyone else was entitled to make a mistake once in a while, to have an off day, to not understand, to to struggle to master something or understand something, uh, then there'd be nothing to feel like an imposter about. I mean, I think sports offers so many great, lessons and metaphors around unlearning imposter syndrome because when it comes to sports we understand somebody's going to win tom brady and <laughs> i'm from new england and somebody's going to lose right we understand that intellectually somebody's going to be crying on the bench somebody's going to get the high sales the big sales somebody's not going to get this whatever right we know that uh, but the losing player the losing team doesn't go hang up their uniform and go home they go watch the game tape they practice more and then you know and they say we'll, we'll get them next time so it, it to me it's about resiliency yeah. it's about being able to kind of bounce back and when you're in sales it's it it's all about resiliency because you know you are only as good as your last sale so i'm really like hitting park on this environment thing for a while i think you've nailed something that's massively important for every sales leader how do we talk about this like I, I, 
Do you address it? Is this a team conversation about just general things? Is this only a one-on-one conversation? Because of the things you talked about, like, I got all these leaders listening to us right now, and they're probably right now checking off in their minds, yes, yes, no. They're going through the things you talked about. How do they talk about it? How do you address it? What do you, like, what do you do? What can you do? You know, I think you do talk about it. Um, you know, I, th- I think you name it. And I think that's one of the first steps is to normalize it by having the conversation on the organizational level. There are some companies now, Rob, in their job descriptions at the bottom, it'll say, we understand the confidence gap. Now they're talking about between men and women, that the confidence gap and the imposter syndrome are real. We want you to apply. So they're naming it and uh, normalizing it on an organizational level. Um, but, But it's when you talk about it, it's not in that confessional kind of way, like, oh, my God, I feel like such an imposter, you know. With right. The, yeah. The, no. right. Not not that way, but a very offhanded, matter of fact way, you know, where, where it's so important for leaders to talk about times when they struggled, when they failed, uh, where they weren't sure, where they were afraid, where they might have felt like an imposter if, if indeed, you know, they've had those feelings because it's great modeling for, for other people. At the same time, you don't want people to get stuck there, like endlessly talking right. about their supposed ineptness. Researchers <laughs> found that that uh, adolescents who it's called co-ruminating, who dwell on negative thoughts and feelings with their friends, who are also dwelling on negative thoughts and feelings, actually experience higher levels of depression and anxiety. But having that conversation, I think, is super important. You know, some organizations are doing things like having a, a panel of, you know, very high achievers, high ranking folks in the organization to come together to talk about like their very best failures and what they learned from them. What about, so I like that. That's how you address it without making, that's really, is that a balancing act? I'm sorry that like you're an expert at this. I'm not, I'm like learning so much right now. <clears throat> Is it a balancing act? Like we can go too far over here and we cannot talk about it. And then it stays buried and causes all the problems we talked about, but I could come over here and talk too much about it. And then we stay there. Right. It sounds to me like there, is there a balancing act or am I interpreting? Oh, it yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't want it to be the top everyday conversation, but I think naming it and saying, Hey, has anybody ever heard of this before to say, yeah, Mike Massimino, NASA astronaut used to be on the big bang theory. Often he talked about his own imposter feelings, you know, before he went off on his first uh, shuttle deployment. And I, I got to share this story, Rob. I actually met Mike at, at uh, Columbia. He's an engineering professor there now. And I happened to be speaking the day he had office hours. So I met him and I said, Mike, awesome. I read your book. I read your book and I don't think you had imposter syndrome. He said, you don't? I said, no, I think you had, holy crap, I'm going into outer space in a tin can syndrome. And the reason I said that is his whole book is a case study in, you know, kind of non-imposter thinking. When he was at, at uh, MIT getting his undergraduate degree, he got a 12 in one exam. He got an 18 in another exam, crushingly disappointed, thought about dropping out, but he got together in a study group with other failing students and they were able to lift their grades together. Then he failed his qualifying exams to go on and get his PhD. And, and his whole life goal was to be an astronaut. And he had to get the PhD to, to do that. Again, almost dropped out, but he got together with other folks. They helped him prepare. He did some more research and he went back and took it. But the entire book is about resiliency and bouncing back. It's, it's what you do with failure and mistakes and, and constructive criticism that, that counts. All right. I like this. I, I'm, I'm, I continue to put myself in the seat of our sales leaders and you're giving some great ideas. Um, what about the flip side? Is some of it just providing encouragement? Does that is is that an important part too? Like letting them know that they're good enough without like okay, talk can yeah. we talk about that? Yeah. I mean, you know, for a lot of especially you know, you think about kids, for kids, praise is like oxygen. Yeah. You know, on the other hand, some kids grew up getting a little too much oxygen, right? Where they were told <laughs> everything they did was remarkable. And then you get really, you know, dependent on positive praise all the time. I think one of the best things that leaders can do is to help people really understand the learning value of constructive feedback, i.e. criticism. Because let, let's face it, right? We call it constructive feedback, but we, we experience it as criticism. That the sales leader tells the person, you did great on these five things. Here's one thing you need to work on. 
they walk away saying, oh, I suck, <laughs> right? All they focus on is, is the one thing. And I think that people who don't feel like imposters, I call them humble realists. People who don't mm. feel like imposters, they're genuinely humble, but they've never had these feelings. They can see constructive feedback, constructive criticism as a gift. They know that they need that information to continue to get better. So if we can help people understand that, that this is why I'm telling you this, or here's an experience I had coming up in my career where I was really, um, you know, I, 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 I was taken aback with this, you know, with this criticism. It did throw me off base. And then I realized, you know, to kind of share those stories so that people start seeing it in, in that context of being helpful, uh, that can go a long way, I think. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting uh, distinction, and I think that you're just really reinforcing that this isn't this is as much once you've hired someone, once they're on your team, this is as much an environment issue as anything. You're, that's what you're really reinforcing to me on here, Valerie. That you know how you perceive, how you take feedback is part of the uh, culture and the environment that you create. Right? I love that. Like, if if you're an individual contributor or a leader that's listening right now to Valerie, and you get like defensive when you get feedback or because I guess sometimes you can, you get bad feedback that's delivered in a bad way, but like you're talking about generally when you get something other than you're the greatest, you're the best, you know um, if that makes you defensive uh, that's what you're talking about, isn't it? Well, absolutely. Cause you know, the defensiveness comes from this place of feeling like that's the only true part of what you just heard. Right. It's yeah. like if 25 people told you, you did a great job and one person said you suck, worst <laughs> salesperson you've ever met, like who do you believe? Right. You think everyone else is just being being nice. And I, I, th- I think a lot of us, we let it mean more about who we are as a person. So the, the sales leader says, you know, your 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 report was inadequate, your sales were not, you know, we, we hear I'm inadequate. And we need to help people separate those two things. It's it's like if you had a tennis coach, do you want a coach that's going to say, well, I, Rob's not holding his racket right, but I don't want to say anything because yeah. I don't want to hurt his feelings, right? Or do you right. want somebody who's going to help help you get better? Nah, this, okay. And so I guess, I guess it's fair to say that some people are wired for, because you're right, confidence. Some people have it naturally more than others, but it can be built. I've had people on here talk about confidence and experts in that. And that's been a really interesting show. I, I never really put confidence and imposter syndrome as like maybe cousins or brothers and sisters because, because they're there. I think they're different, aren't they? There, there's a really close, close connection between confidence and, and imposter syndrome. Uh, can you yeah. talk about that a little bit? I think that that'd be interesting too. Well, I think if I, if I know that I'm confident, if I, if I know I can walk into a situation and I, don't, don't really know how to do. I've never done it before, but I know 25% or 50%. It's about having the confidence to know, yeah, I don't know it all, but I'm quote unquote smart enough to figure it out once I get there. So it, it's having the confidence in your abilities to either ask for help, to get better over time, uh, kind of giving yourself permission to be in the middle of a learning curve. You know, you're not going to step into a, a sales job and knock it out of the park, you know, right away. It, it's always kind of a, a growth curve that you're on. But but I also want to say that the flip side is overconfidence, you know, kind of irrational self-confidence syndrome. Yeah. And that's a problem as well. So you might have a sales leader who says after this, you know, I'm going to go talk to my team and they go talk to their team. And, and it's a bunch of, you know, probably guys who are like overconfident, you know, who are like cocky confident. And A, that's probably not going to, depending on who their clients are, their prospects are, that doesn't fly with, with everybody. Um, but they also might be struggling in ways that they are never going to admit. They are never going to tell anybody. They're never going to admit. Uh, and, you know, and then it's going to bite somebody somewhere down the line in the bottom line. All right. Well, we only have like 15 minutes left. I can't believe how fast this has gone. And there's so many places we could go. You just said something that I think is massively important that they are dealing with. Things. Everybody's got something. Everybody's dealing with stuff. And some people will be having things that they're dealing with that they're never going to admit. How important is it for a sales leader 
to have that relationship with people so they can talk about it. I mean, is that an, is that relationship part of it? Is that important for them to develop so they aren't dealing with this on their own? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you want to feel like you can go to someone and be, be authentic and, and talk about whether it's this or other ways that you're, you know, you're, you're struggling. Uh, I think it's, it's massively important. A question I'm often asked when I speak to corporate audiences by on the other end, right. It's by employees. They'll say, you know, this is great. You know, I think I'm going to go tell my boss that I feel like an imposter. What do you think? And my response is, and what's well, the answer? What is the answer? The answer is I have no idea. Cause I don't know you. I don't know your performance. I don't know how long you've been with the company. I don't know your boss. So do what you want, but know what you're doing. The question I pose to the salesperson is, what do you hope to accomplish by kind of coming out as feeling like an imposter? I mean, hopefully you have that relationship where you can have, and there's been wonderful exchanges uh, because people have talked about it. But again, if you're not, not a great performer, you're pretty new to the company. What are you hoping to come out of that? And can you get whatever that is someplace else? If you're not hundred percent sure this is going to be a safe place to, to talk about this. Okay. This really, really good. Really good. I want to talk about individuals who don't have leaders that are either too aloof. They don't have the good social cues. Like you talked about, maybe they don't give a shit. Uh, there's lots of reasons why a leader may drop the ball. Okay. And I'm talking about the leaders that are listening. They have leaders, like you said earlier, or some of the individual salespeople that are listening, who's their leaders don't get it. Are there anything you would suggest to our individuals on how they might deal with this if they're on their own? Well, people who work alone are one of the more kind of at-risk groups, if you will. Right? Really? Okay. Absolutely. There's people in certain occupations who are more susceptible. Um, you know, the situational factors like working alone, being a student or a trainee, uh, those kind of experiences, being belonging to a group on the receiving end of stereotypes about competence and intelligence, you know, that's another factor uh, to, to consider. Um, but yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think that you have to, you have to step back and, and take a look at the larger uh, situational factors. And if you work alone, it's easier to get in your head. Uh, you're not getting, you know, the feedback that you need. So you kind of make it up as you go along. And it's probably not, you know, you're probably going to be much harder on yourself than other people would be. So I would say for that person, find other people, whether they are in sales, whether other professionals, but find other people who you can create this cohort of, even if it's one other individual as a touchstone to kind of meet with every Monday morning before you start your week, you need some place and somewhere where you can go and talk about, you know, challenges, just talking things through. I mean, have you ever been in a situation, Rob, where you're trying to figure something out and decide something. And you, you said to somebody, can I pick your brain? You, you talk it through. The person says nothing. And you go, oh, that was really helpful. Thank you so much. Cause you just needed to like say, yeah. hear, say it out loud. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. That's so true. And so this, that's, I mean, is it really that simple? Surround yourself first. I, I do buy that actually. I've always believed that you become like what you surround yourself with. And so having people that you can talk to, don't hope that your leader will. If your leader, if he or she is aloof and not, not equipped or understanding or whatever they have going on in themselves and they're not able to help you with that, finding people that you can talk to about it, that, that's the first step in, getting, in, 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 in helping you overcome this. Well, and, and a good coach, I think, I think is critical. And you know, I think we all want different things in coaches. I want a coach who's going to be very direct with me yep. and tell me, you know, where I'm on the mark and, and what I need to work on. And, and that's just me, you know, cause I, oh, I like people, it. You know, I work with people. <laughs> I did, I did a six minute Ted talk. I, I, I applied to be. And, and they should watch it. I, they should watch it. Yeah. We'll make, we'll make a link of that in our show notes. Well, they only gave us six minutes. It was part of this big idea search that, that they were doing. And so I don't, know how many, I don't know how many thousands of people submitted a one minute video and they picked me and 10 other people, went to New York in front of other TED speakers at TED headquarters, 
bright lights, big cameras, the people in the front row, I could literally touch the people in the front row. They were so close. It was the most intense experience uh, in my, in my entire life. Uh, and, and I was absolutely stressed out about it. And now that I'm telling you this story, Rob, I have no idea why I started it. Don't tell me again. What were we talking about? We were talking about who you surround yourself with as you start to become more confident and, and overcome this, this imposter feelings. No, no, there was a reason why I wanted to tell you that story. Well, if you think of it, we're gonna, you're going to get a chance to wrap up here a second. We're almost out of time, and it's well, let it's me just amazing. say one thing yeah. about uh, clearly. I just you know I was I had a point, and I lost my train of thought. I I also want to point out this is a good teachable moment because so many of us, if something like that happened, we would be beating ourselves up, right? Get yeah. off the podcast, go. Oh my god, I can't believe I got. Part of resilience is going like, hey, you know what? Nobody died. I no. Like we've all lost our train of thought and to have more of a sense of humor about ourselves and to be able to kind of regroup and, and and move on and move on more quickly. So I have two things I want to finish with. Number one, and maybe this is redundant. And if it is, forgive me, but I don't think it is. I think there are some people that are crippled by this imposter feeling and it, it freezes them like Medusa freezes you. When you look at it, it turns you to stone. You're afraid to, I've seen people. It just keeps them, like you said, in place. Is, do you have any? Do you have any any advice to the people that are listening to this that have felt like they've put they've hit the brakes because they're so afraid of of other things that might come their way? Because I, I I've met so many of these people, Valerie, and like you don't know me uh, at all. I, I know more about you than you know about me. It's hard to shut me up, and you've taken me into places that I, I'm like. I'm really working to like try and stay up with you because you have so much depth here. And this is so new to me. I've had so many people ask about it. And all I can ever think of is you can do it. Like, you know, if, if you weren't able to do it, you wouldn't be in the spot. And yeah. I, I feel like I'm letting them down. I mean, what would you say to all of these people? If we have 35,000 people listening, there's going to be a large chunk that are dealing with this and any, any like words or instructions or tips you'd give these people. Yeah, you, you raise a really good point, Rob, because it's not about giving a pep talk, right? You've got this and you can yeah. do it and you deserve to be here, all of which is true. But it, fundamentally, people who feel like imposters, let me, let me rephrase that, people who don't feel like imposters, right? Humble realists, they think differently specifically about three things, competence, they have a more realistic, sustainable understanding of what it means to be competent. They have a healthy response to failure, mistakes, and constructive feedback and and to fear. And so to me, where the work has to come in, whether it's on the sales leadership side or for the individual, is in constantly kind of reframing. Like when you have that imposter moment, hit the pause button, zoom out, right? And, And become consciously aware of what is the conversation going on in your head and then reframe it the way somebody who is humble, but has never felt like an imposter would. Uh, and I remember the point I wanted to make about g- giving the, the Ted talk. It was uh, the, yeah, the, yeah. So, the coach that who had helped me put, put together the, my, my six minute talk. And I spent literally hundreds of hours writing it and practicing it, timing it over and over and over. At the end of that, I was disappointed, right? We all know what it's like to, to walk away and feel like you nailed it. You, you knocked it out of the park. I know what that feels like. I didn't feel that way at the end of that talk. Interesting. And somebody said to me, oh, you mean you felt like an imposter? And I said, no, I didn't feel like an imposter. I didn't, you know, negate my past experience or my accomplishments. I wasn't afraid I was going to be found out. I was disappointed, right? There's a difference. But anyway, I sent the video to, to my coach and, and he, <laughs> he said, yeah, you've been better. Wow. Okay. <laughs> he said, yeah, you've been better. He said, here's the thing. You wanted it too much. You, you, you worked, you practiced too hard. Next time, just, you know, have fun and enjoy it. And I appreciated that. I, I didn't want somebody who's going to go, oh, no, you were great. Because it invalidates my feeling of I did not feel like I knocked it out of the park. So that I think it's important to, you know, to, to, to be direct and for people to not only get a cheerleader, but again, somebody who's going to help them develop more resilience uh, and, and strive to, to be better, but shake off the setbacks and the dis- disappointments more quickly. Here in sales, you got to shake it off more quickly because you got to go on to the next sale. Like you're not going to, you're not going to get them all, which we know intellectually, right? 
oh yeah, you're good. If you're good, you win only four out of 10. If that's if you're good. Yeah. And so we deal that's, I think that's why so much, so much of this imposter stuff is built into our profession and sales four out of 10 wins is good. If you're a salesperson, less than 50% of sales people hit quota right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're a leader, part of how you measure success is what percentage of my people get there. And, uh, and so there's a lot of reasons that it's built in to have this be something that they struggle with. I think as just part of the, the way our profession works. And, um, and I love everything you said. You've said so many good things. I let, let's shift for a second as we wrap this up. How do people get more of you? So here's what I want. I want you to share how they get more of you, get your stuff, connect with you, et cetera, et cetera. And then maybe we'll turn around for a couple final thoughts for sales leaders on what to look for or what they might want to make sure they're doing to, to handle this. So let's start with how do they get more of you? You're going to have a lot of people that are going to be interested in getting more of your material. I don't care if it's your videos or your work or whatever. You're going to have a lot of people that we're going to want to say, how do I get better at either doing this for myself or building that environment? How do they connect with you? Sure. Well, one thing we are doing is uh, we're, we, we're creating a coaching program to help people who are, they could be executive coaches, career coaches, life coaches, but also leaders, people in, in, in HR, people who are sales leaders to be able to work with people around this topic, how, how to coach around the topic of, of imposter syndrome. That's not this very psychodynamic, helping people look, look for their hidden wound in their childhood, right? That's not, that's not the approach that I take. So, you know, we're doing that. Well, obviously there, there's the, the speaking um, option to kind of get that message out to a larger group of people within an organization. I think that's incredibly um, important. And down the road, you know, because we are looking to stamp out imposter syndrome around the world, you know, it, it's going to be more about helping organizations create that imposter-free culture, because I think culture is incredibly important. Okay. I hope people reach out to you. I hope that they take advantage of the resources you have. In the last couple of minutes that we have, what final thoughts do you have? We've got a bunch of leaders, a bunch of individuals. What would you, what would you suggest if we're thinking about, I love your mission, we're stamping it out. So if we have a leader that wants to stamp out imposter syndrome in their career, or they want to stamp out imposter syndrome on their teams, you've given a lot of great things that are around action and feedback and, and belief and building confidence and doing and resilience. Are there one or two things you, you would tell these people to be on the lookout? And then one or two things that you would say, make sure you get these things right, because these are where you always start. Any, any final thoughts that you would share? Yeah, I would think, I, would, I want to say it's, I don't want people to go out and go to their teams and go, okay, this person feels like an imposter and this people person doesn't because it can be very deceiving. You could have yeah. somebody who comes off as very cocky, as very confident, who's still experiencing this. But I would say, I don't care how much somebody feels like an imposter that deep down, even they know they can, they can do it. And, but, and not, not everything, right? Not quickly, not easily, not without help, but they know they can do they're going to achieve the majority of the goals that they set for themselves in life. And I can prove it, or at least the researchers at Wake Forest University can prove it. They took a group of students who tested high for imposter feelings. And they said, how do you think you're going to do on this exam coming up? When the students were told no one would see the results of the exam, secretly, they felt pretty confident. But when they told them we're going to post the results, they lowered their expectations for how well they would do. The researchers dubbed them phony imposters. Mm. I respectfully disagree. I think what they really uncovered is the flip side of imposter syndrome is that we do know we can do it. It's just that that debris of imposter thinking gets in the way. So the more we can tackle the thinking, I mean, my my mantra is the, because what everybody wants is to stop feeling like an imposter, but that's not how it works. Feelings are the last to change. The only way to stop feeling like an imposter is to stop thinking like an imposter and, and help other people stop thinking like an imposter. That couldn't have finished it better. Thinking is where we start because feelings are the last to change. All right, Valerie, this was fantastic. This was even more insightful to me than I expected. I want to thank you for taking an hour of your time, sharing it with a bunch of sales leaders all around the world. Her name is Valerie Young. If you aren't connected to her, do it. If you haven't looked at her work and you're a leader of people, do it. If you haven't seen what she's about and, and, and you want to up elevate your career, do it. Uh, she's stopping people from saying, fool them again all around the world. Uh, Valerie Young, I appreciate your work. I appreciate your help. Thank you so much for joining us. And I wish you only the best. 
Thank you. I really appreciate you having me, Rob. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, this podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United, part of the Jepson Performance Group. And if you're like most sales leaders, you've got killer sales process, proven sales tools, and great sales training in place. But you've been left on your own to figure out your sales leadership process, your sales leadership tools, your sales leadership training, and your sales leadership systems. And while there are no shortcuts to success, you can get there faster if you take the most direct route. And that's why I created Sales Leadership United as a resource center for every single sales leader, no matter how long you've been leading teams. I'm working with people that are brand new to sales leadership and seasoned vets that have been leading teams for decades. All of them are finding things that they need and benefit from in the Home Depot for Sales Leaders, Sales Leadership United. You, you can find it on Patreon, and you'll find all kinds of sales leadership assets for you. You'll find video expert excerpts of this episode and all of our podcasts in three to five minute segments, all tagged and organized by topic to help you in your leadership journey. You'll find over a hundred hours of sales leadership training materials, sales meeting ideas, things you can use immediately to help your team improve leadership and coaching systems, and much, much more. You can find everything you need in Sales Leadership United. So don't go try to reinvent sales leadership. Tap into the proven systems, the proven training, the proven techniques used by some of the most successful sales leaders in the world and head over to Sales Leadership United right now. I can't wait to see you there. I also want to thank each of you, our listeners. We're now over 40,000 listeners strong. And as crazy as it is, the show just keeps growing faster. Um, it's mind-boggling to me that the show's being listened to by so many leaders in so many countries all around the world. And many of you have told me you've listened to every single one of our nearly 200 episodes now. So thank you. Because without you, there is no show. And, and, and I do this because I love the sales leadership community. And I'm so grateful that so many of you find the show helpful. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Your support of the show humbles me, it inspires me, and my commitment to you is to keep bringing killer guests each week. And that starts today. Listen, this one is a big issue. Imposter syndrome is something that you see people talk about all the time, but people don't really know what to do about. I see a lot of people being kind of so-called experts on it, and that's why I wanted to go get the expert. And that's why, Valerie, I'm so grateful that you joined me on this important episode. Valerie is the person who's been at the forefront of imposter syndrome for a long time. She helped, uh, she helped start the Institute of, of the imposter syndrome Institute in 1982. And it's now the world's number one source of imposter syndrome solutions. So I was pumped to bring her here. Imposter syndrome is very real. It's very sabotaging. It sabotages individuals. It sabotages companies. It sabotages teams. And Valerie's right. This impacts more people than we might ever imagine. Um, there's a lot of data around it that she shared. You can get a lot more on her website. In the show notes, I have a link to her website. I love how she got my attention really fast that over 70% of people will experience it at some point in their lives. That'll be you and that'll be the people that you lead. And, and this is going to impact most sales leaders. It's going to impact most members of your team. And it'll kill deals, and it'll kill important moments, and it'll kill opportunities in your career. And again, you'll see a lot of people talking about it. You'll hear about it a lot. But I'm, I'm so pumped that Valerie joined us because I don't think there's anybody in the world that has the expertise in this that she does. And after my conversation with her, I, I've been a lot more introspective about what imposter syndrome looks like, feels like, is. I, I coach you know, 140 sales leaders right now. And I've been talking to a lot of them about it and, and what it looks like, and what it feels like. And sometimes they bring it up with me. Sometimes I bring it up with them. I've had people reach out to me specifically about this. So I think it's worth identifying these feelings and what they look like. You ought to be doing an audit on what those feelings are for you because we need to be aware. So when they come, we can be intentional about what we do with them. If there's one thing I got from Valerie, it's that. We've got to be willing to admit or acknowledge when they're there, and we've got to be able to be intentional about what we do with them. 
We can't just like push it to the side. Most people, Valerie taught us today, they just kind of assume it'll go away as we spend time. And, and it's, it, actually, it's the opposite. The more responsibility we get and the more expertise we get, the more we feel like we should be better at things, we should know more, and the more this happens. And it made me think of weeds in a yard. I don't know if you're gardeners or have yard. I remember many hours growing up as a boy weeding at our house. My parents had a big yard um, out in the country. And weeding was something that I hated. But we would plant all these things, and then the weeds would always come. We never planted the weeds, but they always came. And if we let them grow, they would choke out the bushes or the plants or the flowers or whatever that we wanted to thrive for different reasons. And if we use just a tool and cut them off on the top, they always would grow back faster and thicker and stronger. They'd actually use more resources. So you got to pluck these out by the roots so they don't stunt the growth of the things that you do want. And as a leader, it's important for us to be reflective. So take the time to evaluate those feelings. They start with thoughts and feelings of self-doubt. Maybe it's in your ability to be effective in the specific role. Might be in the decisions that you make and how you make them. Sometimes we have feelings that we don't deserve opportunities or attention that we get. And so Valerie said it many times, fooled them again, fooled them again. You know, we're one minute, one meeting, one message away from being found out as a phony or a fraud. And we don't know what we're doing. You might see it as a feeling that your skills are not anything special, no matter how skilled or experienced you are. And so I've seen a lot of people attribute their their success to luck or the team and, or other people. And while it's good to give credit to others when it's due, and it's a great leadership attribute, having the aw shucks attitude of I didn't do anything and I just got out of the way of others, sometimes that's going to be a sign of you not recognizing and owning your accomplishments and talents. And all of those things are rooted in fear. Uh, I've got some trainings on fear-based leadership in, in Sales Leadership United right now. I'm getting a lot of good feedback on it. I, I think fear-based leadership always starts with the fears that leaders have themselves. And as a result, we compensate, just like Valerie said. That might have been the most interesting part of the conversation to me as she shared these symptoms of imposter syndrome, the ways we compensate. I really resonated with that concept of you know, sometimes we try to create a fail-safe environment. You know, we control everything rather than a safe-to-fail. And how we compensate for our feelings of imposter syndrome, it's going to impact tons of things. But I think maybe most especially it's the culture and the environment because those are things you are 100% responsible for as a leader. So go back and really dial into the part of our conversation where we discuss how people compensate. I think you'll see some of those show up in your lives. And the reason that we do these compensations is because our minds are wired to protect us. Our, one of our first thing for our subconscious is, is to protect us. And the other is to make us effective and efficient. And that's why we can't just push them to the side. If we have these feelings, we have to deal with them intentionally. Um, and if we don't, we won't have healthy responses. And, and my experience is that dealing with imposter syndrome starts with talking about it. That could be hard as a leader. In fact, the more senior you are, the smaller the circle of trust is for you to have people to work through. And and since you can't present, prevent these feelings from coming, you can't prevent the weeds from coming, you better have awareness. You better have a, a plan on how you'll take action to pull these weeds from the garden in your mind because you can count on these inner voices coming out. But if you can spot them, you can address them, and then you can reframe them. And then... You can start getting comfortable about addressing this. And the better you do that, then the better you're going to be able to lead these people, right? Uh, you'll be able to have this as a safe conversation that they have for their insecurities because they're going to face it as well. So remember, when these feelings come, you are not the only person who feels this way. Make sure you have someone in your corner to work through this with. If you don't have a coach, this might be reason alone to get one. Mentors, peers, coaches, these are great places to start. Ask them about the times they felt in over their heads and their experiences of self-doubt. Facing high stakes usually will bring big opportunities, but it can also bring crippling doubts. So expect it, be prepared for it, and then address it. Create a support network around you with whom you can freely express your feelings. But most important, be kind to yourself. Challenge your expectations of yourself. Fact check yourself because you are good enough. You deserve the opportunities you have in front of you. And your best, it's yet to come. Valerie, 
Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so grateful you would share your insights on this important topic. Your thoughts are spot on, and I hope our listeners apply your suggestions to themselves and to those they lead. And if you haven't connected with Valerie, be sure to do so. She has amazing work on this topic. This is this is one topic you should spend some time diving into. Go back and listen to this conversation a couple of times. Get your hands on her work. Reach out to her. Connect with her. And follow her advice on how to deal with this very real challenge. She has a framework and a system that works. She's been leading the charge for years and will be a huge asset in your personal leadership journey. And finally, thanks to each of you, our listeners. If you like this episode, please give us a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, please uh, share it with someone who needs to hear it. Uh, your, your, your shares and your reviews go a long way with helping me continue to get the best guests in the world on the show. But the best compliment you can give me is just to share that episode with your friends and your colleagues. Share it with someone who needs to hear it. And then be elite. Live strong. Chase your passions. And don't worry. Just execute. Because we got you. Thank you so much for joining the Sales Leadership Podcast, the award-winning sales leadership podcast for those sales leaders looking to create legendary impact to those they lead. The greatest compliment you can give is to share this show and any of your favorite episodes with your fellow sales leaders, social media followers, or other communities you're part of. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. If you want to discuss any of the topics discussed on the show, want to level up your leadership impact, discuss executive coaching services, or even include me at an upcoming event, hit me up at rob at jetpg.com. That's rob at jeppg.com. And to those of you working to become a legendary sales leader, I salute you and wish you much success on your journey. Whenever you need someone in your corner, you know where to find me.